I got you each a gift. No way, Jesus, why? Awesome. Well, I just love you guys, so I wanted to get you something. <laughs> so nice. Laura, you first. Oh, this is so exciting. Oh, will you look at this, a little eight ounce can of Coke? This is perfect for me. I looked everywhere to find a gift for you and this just seemed to fit. I love it. Drew? Yeah, your turn. All right. <laughs> no way, Jesus, seriously? Oh, yeah. 20 ounces of Coke? Yeah, baby. Woo! This is awesome. Oh, Jesus, thank you so much. You're welcome. Laura, we gotta go show Richard our gifts. Come on. Okay. Hey, Laura, is there a problem? No. I mean, well, yeah, kind of, you know, it's just that every time you give people gifts, you always give everyone else more than you give me. What do you mean? I mean, like, I open my gift and, oh, cute, eight ounces, and then Drew opens his gift and, hello, 20 ounces. Oh, I know what you mean. Well, that gift is for Drew. Well, that's what I want. Uh, go get it for me. Okay, if that's what you want. I got a liter! I know, it's one liter of God's sweet goodness! Jesus gave it to me. He did? Yes! Okay, you know what? You're gonna meet somebody with a bigger bottle and you are gonna be so mad! Laura, check it out! I got an upgrade! Coke 3.0! That is awesome! I know! Well, isn't that just great? Yeah! Hey, Jesus, you rock! Yeah. Thanks, what Drew. What is wrong with you? Why are you holding back your best from me? I gave you my best. Don't you see what's happening here? You're letting everyone else's gifts steal your joy. Uh, no, Jesus, you are stealing my joy by giving everyone else more than you give me. Laura, I picked this gift out for you. That's what I wanted you to see. I don't care. Until you can look past this, all you're going to see is a can of Coke. I think maybe Coke should take that phrase, Coke, God's sweet goodness. <laughs> and I know some of you guys uh, probably believe that. Uh, it's great. I didn't even, do they still make three liters? Those are pretty, uh, you remember? Huge. Awesome. Um, well, as you can see, Pastor Jeffrey is, is not here uh, today. He's actually in uh, Oklahoma. He's uh, visiting uh, friends, uh, Rick and Annette. Uh, can you hear me okay? No? Not really. Is that me? Okay, uh, visiting friends there in uh, Oklahoma uh, City. He's actually preaching at uh, Bethany First Church, uh, the Nazarene uh, there. So uh, you know what? While we're thinking about it, why don't we just pray for him and, and, the, and the word today. God, uh, we thank you for this chance to uh, be in your presence, God. And uh, Lord, we just lift up our pastor to you right now. ask that you would give him boldness. God, help him to uh, preach your word. Uh, Lord, I ask that you would... Uh, Meet with us today, Lord. Open our hearts and our minds to what you'd have to say. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Well, we've been traveling through the Word, and we find ourselves in the Gospels. And uh, Pastor Jeffrey asked, actually asked me to, to preach on uh, a parable. And so I've searched for a parable and found one. I have to be honest, it's, it's one that I, 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 don't, I don't like. I'm going to just preface it right here, okay? And uh, so here we are, Matthew chapter 20. Uh, if you want to flip in your Bibles or on your phones, Matthew chapter 20. It's the parable of the vineyard workers. Now, Jesus, he used to, to, to tell a lot of stories. He spoke through stories. He taught through stories uh, with great truth within these stories. And they were very much uh, stories where the, the hearer could identify with what was going on. And it also provided a lot of aha moments. And uh, hopefully we'll, we'll catch a few of those today. 
But uh, Matthew chapter 20, uh, starting with verse, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. At nine o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work in the vineyard. At noon and again at three o'clock, he did the same thing. At five o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again and saw more people standing around. He asked them, why haven't you been working today? They replied, because no one has hired us. The landowner told them, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. That evening, he told the, the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. When those hired at five o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. When those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed that they would receive more. But they, too, were paid a day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only one hour, and yet you paid them just as much as you paid us, who worked all day in the scorching heat. He answered one of them, Friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I want to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should, I, should you be jealous because I am kind to others? So those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. The first time I read through this, I have to tell you, I, I don't like it. I mean, here's the guy, he's, he's hired, and, and they tell us about 6 o'clock in the morning. He's out in the field, he's working hard in the scorching heat, it says, and he, he agrees to a, a sum of money, yes, but then the landowner, he goes out and hires more people at 9, then 12, then 3, and then with one hour left in the day, he hires someone else to work for just an hour. He lines him up, the guy who was, only worked an hour, he gets paid the exact same thing as the person who had been working all day long. I mean, that's against everything we are. I mean, you work hard and you receive. I mean, the harder you work, the better off you should be, right? I mean, that's, that's the American way. And when I hear this, I immediately hear this phrase that has been kind of ringing through our house a lot these days. But Dad, that's not fair. Dad, but mom, but mom, that's, but, 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 even last night, but mom, they have more candy in their bag than me, but, 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 but mom, why do I have to clean that up? I didn't make that mess, but, but, but mom, Stacy's mom lets her go to the mall. Why can't I go to the mall? It's not fair, but dad, but dad, Johnny's got a cell phone that goes underwater and can call China, and it's an 8G phone. I want one of those too. It's not fair. Have you ever uh, have you heard that phrase in the last week? Any parents that have heard that in the last week or so? Some bold arms up in the air. Now, uh, I even put in the in the, in the uh, bulletin or the worship folder this morning. Maybe you want to take it. If you if you get bored, you can draw a picture of what your your kid looks like when he says that that phrase. Um, it's a pouting look or, or something like that. Well, I surveyed some, some ladies and, and, and talked to some people. Uh, can you remember back, what was the, what's the phrase that you use when, when that phrase comes in your house? What, what's your response as a parent? Turn and just tell your neighbor, when your kid says that, what's, your, what's the thing that comes out of your mouth?
All right. Now, can you remember, can you remember what your mom said to you, your dad said to you, when uh, you asked that, said the exact same thing? Yeah? Well, here, here's a couple answers. I, I got some uh, from our, some of our moms in, in, in the church. Uh, life's not fair. Get used to it. Yeah. Uh, well, the fair only comes once a year, and now's not the time. I like that one. Unless you're in Houston, because there's a fair always in this town. Have you noticed that? Always a fair somewhere. All right. Well, life, life ain't fair, and the sooner you realize that there's sooner you can deal with it. Uh, someone else, and mom also said, I uh, also say, that's not my problem. Get over it. Those are all used. Now, this, these last two are, are probably my favorites. Uh, I won't uh, tell who they are until you ask me. Uh, and this mom said, this is what I say when my kids say life's not fair. You're right, honey. Life isn't fair. Why do I have to wash clothes I don't wear or cook food other people complain about or clean toilet seats I don't sprinkle on or... <laughs> Or help with homework that I don't get credit for, clean rooms, I didn't mess up. Yes, you are correct. Life is not fair. Once, she said, once per child, and they never say it again for fear of having to listen to my response. <laughs> That's great. And then uh, this, this last one is from, uh, is from an unnamed person, but uh, his, his name rhymes with Pastor Barron. Uh, <laughs> he, says, uh, he says this, uh, when, when my kids say that life's not, or this is not fair, then I say this. You're, you're not fair, followed by three poopy sounds. Now, I had to ask what three poopy sounds were. This is what he does. Now, you can make fun of this, uh, him later. Is he in the room? No, good. All right. So, uh, they, he says, well, you're not fair. <laughs> That's what our children's pastor does. I wonder if he's doing that right now. You're not fair. I had him demonstrated it like like five times in his office, but so ask him to give him give you that impression uh, later on. But man, it's it's man, not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair that 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 they have more money than we do, and they have their own network. We're gonna go to our own conference, and uh, that was a, a Texas A&M, Texas. Ah oh, man, I tried to go there. Alex. Uh, Never mind, I can't even explain it. It's, but there's things in life that are not fair. Uh, there's things that we experience that are not fair. And uh, what's your response to your kids? But, but I wonder what God's response is to us. Because as we read this, this, this passage, it talks about fairness, but it talks about God's grace. You see, fairness, you know what, when I think of fairness, you, is what you, you get what you deserve. You get what you deserve if, if things were fair. Fairness is you do and you get. Fairness is you earn and you receive. Fairness is hard work. It, it pays off. And the early bird gets the worm. When I think about fairness, I think about the Boy Scouts. That you know, There's badges. You earn a badge. If you work hard, you do what you need to do, you get the badge. I went to Boy Scouts one night, and they played just one, one night. They played this game, Chubby Bunny, and, I, uh, and a kid uh, lost it. And so uh, that was my last experience at, at Boy Scouts. But... Uh, but Boy Scouts, you, you, you earn a badge. You, you, you do what you need to do, and you, you get something to show for it. But you know, the funny thing about fairness is I love fairness when it works for me. And I love unfairness when it works for me. I only complain when unfairness doesn't work for me. Uh, I never hear uh, a kid complain, uh, but Dad, uh, I've got way more ice cream than Briley, or, that Briley does. You know, she should have more. Or... But Pastor Matt, I always get to sit up front. Somebody, one of the other kids should sit up front now. We, we don't hear that very often. We, we kind of like unfair when it works for us. 
When I was in the third grade, uh, I remember very specifically, uh, we had to go to music class. In music class, we had Mrs. Carter was the music teacher. And uh, she was a very scary lady. Uh, that's all my third grade memories were just very frightening for some reason. Uh, and I think she had a, just a really deep voice, and it was just it was a scary experience for some reason. And I went, remember going to class, and uh, you know, we're singing different songs. And actually, this popped in my mind last night. The, the song that was popular uh, at the time was Whitney Houston, uh, The Greatest Love of All. I believe the children are the future. Teach them well. Do you remember that song? And we were singing that song in class Yep, one day. And in Mrs. Carter's class, uh, there was only one major rule. There's a chalkboard that went all around the room. She said, you are not allowed to write on the chalkboard. That was her chalkboard. No one is allowed to write on the chalkboard. That was like the, the no, you could not go there. Okay? So I'm sitting in class, and my friend Eldrick is uh, sitting beside me, and uh, he, he dares me to write on the chalkboard. All right? And not just write on the chalkboard, but write a cuss word on the chalkboard. I was like, and so, I, of course, I played it cool. No, 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 no. I'm, I, I'm not going to do that. I'm, yeah, no big deal. I'm not going to do that. Then he, you know, he went into the whole litany of double dog dare you and triple dog, whatever dared me. And finally, I gave in. I don't know if it's peer pressure or what, but I gave in. I'm like, okay, I'll do it. And I'll write the worst curse word that I know on the board. So I wait until Mrs. Carter turns around. And I begin, I grab the piece of chalk. And under my hand, I begin to write a word. And as soon as the word is complete, I feel this dark shadow <laughs> behind me. It was like every bit of vegetation in the world had died. And there behind me was Mrs. Carter with my hand, you know, finishing up this word, chalk in hand. And I, I immediately just put my hand over the word, out, out of shame, of course. And uh, I turn around and she says, you know, what is that on my board? Something like that. And... Um, <laughs> And at that I wish I could go back, and I wish I just thought to just put my hand and do that. I didn't do that. I wish I could say I did. I didn't. So I slowly creep my hand away, and there is the word, the worst word ever, S-E-X, written on the chalkboard. Her face just went to, like, 10th level of anger. And immediately I thought, my parents are going to kill me. And she goes... You're gonna, you need to stay after class. We're going to call, blah, blah, blah. And she goes into call your parents. And, and I am almost in tears in, in music class that day. And uh, class could it just, just seemed to go by very, very slowly. And we're, the bell rings for class to be over. And something happens. Miraculous, maybe. The announcement comes up. Mrs. Carter, we need you to come to the office. She looks at me and says, you're off the hook this time. And I get in line, and it was like, I mean, it was the greatest. I like unfair when unfair, when I, when I don't get what I deserve. I, I, I like unfair. Because there's times where maybe you've been busted. I mean, really busted. And you didn't get what you deserve. Yeah. I'm very thankful this morning that the kingdom of God is not fair in the sense that everybody gets what they deserve. God does not give us what we deserve. It would be, it's fair that the landowner, he gets the, the opportunity to give whatever he wants to give because he's the landowner. He is God, and, and God's grace is good. Do you really want what you deserve? Do you? Uh, C.S. Lewis, he uh, wrote a book, The Abolition of Man, and in it he begins to 
compare some different religions. Uh, the American Indians, the, the, Greek, uh, the ancient Greeks, uh, the ancient Chinese, Judaism and Christianity. And he goes through like some, and he finds common laws that all of these things kind of are, are the same in these uh, different religions. And he says, that here are kind of the eight common ones that I found. Don't harm others or word or deed. Honor your parents. Be kind to your siblings and elderly. Be honest in all your dealings. Don't lie. Don't have sex with another person's spouse. Care for those who are weaker. Put others first. And another commonality in all these religious structures is that the assumption that, that man will fail. They will not live up to these laws. So in summary, there is a God. God has a standard for individuals to live by, but it's too hard, and we are flawed. Good luck. And that's kind of where the similarities end, because the other ones, it's all about works and trying to do something. But the unique thing about who we are as Christians is that, that God came to earth as a man, and he died. He died so that you do not get what you deserve. He took the penalty. He took the, the pain. And while you were still a sinner, he died for you. And this great grace came into the world. What a beautiful moment. You know, and to say that we deserve something, it's a contradiction of terms. This is what Andy Stanley says. You can no more deserve grace than you can plan your own surprise party. In the same way that planning voids the idea of surprise, so claiming to deserve voids the idea of grace. You can't ask for it, you can't plead for it, but the minute you think you deserve it, the it you think you deserve is no longer grace. It's something that you've earned. But grace can't be earned. To earn something is to find an equivalent. There is not an equivalent when grace is concerned. Grace is birth from hopeless iniquity. Grace is the offer of exactly what we do not deserve. Thus, it cannot be recognized or received until we are precisely, we, we are aware precisely of how undeserving we really are. It is the knowledge of what we do not deserve that allows us to receive grace for what it is. Unmerited, unearned, undeserved. For that reason, grace can only be experienced by those who acknowledge they are undeserving. Have you, has that hit home yet? Has that hit home really for you that you're undeserving? I can remember a time where, you know, I grew up in the church, and there was a time in my life where I really thought, you know, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. I, I haven't done any major things wrong. I haven't killed anybody. And there was a moment that was really young in my, in my ministry that Jesus, I don't know if he just was tired of me saying that in, in the subconscious of my mind, that suddenly he just hit me with the fact that, you know what? You're not deserving. You, you want me to show you what you've done? And it was almost like he hit me with the weight of my sin. And with tears in my eyes, I just, it was just a, a moment of clarification. Hey, do you realize that there's nothing that you can do? There's nothing that you can do that can make up for your sin. That we are all undeserving. So, as great as Yancey says it, Philip Yancey says it this way. Um, it's not about finishing last or first. It's about, it's about not counting when it comes to, to grace. So what should our response be? What should we, we, we think about this undeserving grace, this unfair grace that God gives us? You know, our, our first response, I think, should be to, to live a life of, of humility. To live 
a life of humility. There is a, uh, if we look back in, in Matthew chapter 20, you can, at the very beginning it says this, For the kingdom of, of heaven is like a landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal day wage. So he goes out and he finds these land workers, these, these day workers. And uh, I don't know if you've ever seen people before that are, are gathered and they're looking for work. We lived in Florida. And when the, the, the orange crop came in, there was a peop- group of people that just hung out at the, at the Outland Mall, the edge of town, just waiting to be hired. And I, I just kind of thought about this moment. What would it be like to be someone that every single day you were, you were dependent on someone to come by and hire you? I thought, and immediately this, this movie jumped into mind, uh, Cinderella Man. Uh, maybe you've seen it. It's with Russell Crowe. He's a boxer, and he was, had a great career, and suddenly he broke his hand, and his fight career was going down the, the tubes. And at the same time, the Depression hits. And everything falls apart. I don't know if anyone uh, was around during the Depression that's, that's here today. But I, I can't imagine the pain and the, the hurt that was there. Uh, but to not have work. And he eventually turned it to go into the docks for work. And the docks was this place where you could go for, for, for day work. And sometimes you'd get hired. And sometimes you wouldn't. Uh, here's the, the story. True story. Uh, just a clip from that, that movie. Oh, Mommy, will get you some money. Hey, Rosie, Rosie. Good morning, good morning. Oh, um, got a notice yesterday. Gas and electric. Come on. Okay, okay. There we go. I'll get the milk. There's some left over. Yep. You know, I got that fight tonight at the armory. Yeah, one guy, uh, Abe Feldman. It's 50 bucks, win or lose. Oh, that's good. Maybe I can get my purses back up to 75. That would be great. Rosie, use your fork, please. Who needs a cow, huh? Mama, I want some more. Oh, I'm sorry, sweetheart. You need to save some for the boys. Here you go. You know, May, I dreamed last night that I was having dinner at the Ritz with Mickey Rooney and George Raft. Really? Yeah. I dreamed I had a steak. Pick. Oh. Juicy steak. Mm. Like this, Rosie. Wow. And then I had a mountain of mashed potatoes. And I went back for ice cream three times. Oh. I'm I'm stuffed. I'm absolutely full. I cannot eat another thing. You wanna give me a hand? Jim. Jimmy. imagine uh, what it feels like when you're, you're, you're desperate for work. When you know that, you know what, if someone doesn't come by, 
if I don't get that opportunity, then I'm going to have to go home and I'm going to have to hear uh, the cries of my kids. That desperation. And the, the disciples knew this. This was familiar to them in their, in their time, this scene. You know, day workers, they, they were even basically kind of lower than slaves because slaves back then, they had a, a place to stay. They had food every day. Day workers, it was a day-to-day experience. If I get hired, then we have food. If we don't, we're out of luck. And here is a scene where there are people. And, and the Lord comes by, the landowner comes by, and he hires this group of people. The early folks, can you imagine just the feeling of, thank you. Thank you. Today, I'm going to be able to go home. Maybe we can turn the electricity on. Just the gratitude, the, the feeling of, you know, my kids are not going to starve tonight. But quickly, the story changes when people start to look around and say, well, well that's not fair. Well, what about that? Gratitude turns into to jealousy pretty quickly sometimes. Our response, God's unfair grace, is that we live this life of humility. This, and if you've seen the movie, going through this really just changed uh, James Braddock's outlook on life and the way that he fought and the way that he lived. And God's unfair grace should do the same. Matthew, uh, in Matthew, Jesus says this, God blesses those who are poor in spirit and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. The kingdom of heaven is theirs. I, I, I wonder, I wonder what God's response is when after giving us so much grace, that when we look up and say, but God, it's not fair. I wonder what his response is. I think it should be that, that we stop counting. We stop looking around. That we start uh, living a life of humility. God, he kind of demonstrates this, this life of unfair grace in several places. Well, throughout the gospel. But specifically, let's look back in Matthew chapter 18. In Matthew chapter 18, uh, Peter comes up. And Peter was kind of a counter. And uh, he wanted specifics. What do we do when we, we talk about this, this grace, this unfair grace, when we forgive other people? How many times should we forgive other people? How many times should we extend this grace? And he said, seven times. You remember the story? Seven times. And, and back in the day, uh, the, the rabbis would say, well, three is a, is, a, is a more than efficient number. But he even took it to the next level. Seven times should we forgive Jesus? And Jesus says, oh, no. You should actually forgive how many times? Seven times seven. He said 490, which I don't think he was going for a number there. He was going for the idea that grace is, is, is infinite. And then he tells this, this parable, another parable. A man, uh, there was a certain king that was calling in debts one day. And one day a man came in, a servant of his, that owed, the, the Bible says, the NLT says, millions. He owed millions to the king. And the, and the servant falls on his, on, his, on his knees and says, but, but please have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And the king does. He has compassion on him. Uh, and it's actually the same word, compassion, that, that Jesus used his other, other times in the gospel. He has compassion on him, and he forgives him millions of dollars. Immediately, the servant goes out, I'm sure, excited. And he sees a guy that, hey, isn't that? It is. It's the guy that... And the Bible says a couple of thousand dollars here. He sees this guy who owes him a couple of thousand dollars, and he immediately demands the money 
that this guy owes him. And the, the man, it's almost like a repeat scene of what we've just, we've just seen happen. He says, I don't have the money. I'm so sorry. I'll, I'll get it to you as soon as I can. Will you please? No. Go to jail. He calls the police in, and they send this guy who owes just a couple of thousand dollars to jail, to prison. Other servants hear about this. They go tell the king. The king calls in this servant and says, how dare you? I just forgave you millions, and you cannot give your fellow servant a break here? He throws him immediately in, in, into prison, where the torturous scene described. And he says, the same thing will happen to us if we do not forgive our brother. Man, that's pretty, uh, that's pretty hard to hear sometimes. In fact, when Jesus is speaking about prayer, and he's talking about the Lord's Prayer, what does he say? Forgive those who sin against us. And immediately after the prayer, he says, if you don't forgive others, then you will not be forgiven yourself. But, but it's not fair. You don't understand what they've done. You don't understand what they said to me. You don't, it's not fair. You don't know how they've hurt me. I like the way C.S. Lewis says it. He says, to be Christian means that we need to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. So a response to God's unfair grace in our lives is to forgive those who have sinned against us. Forgive those who have sinned against us. Another example of God's unfair grace. In Matthew chapter 19, there is a scene where Jesus is, is going along and there is a very rich man that comes up to Jesus, the rich young ruler. And he asks Jesus a, a, a simple question. He starts off by saying, good teacher. Jesus interrupts him and says, there's no one good except for God. You remember the story? And uh, he asks, how can I in inherit eternal life? What can I do to get eternal life? What can I do to get? How can I earn? What can I do to get eternal life? And then Jesus says, well, have you kept the commandments? And he goes through, yes. Oh, yeah, I've kept, I've kept all the commandments uh, since birth. Uh, well, 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 good. There's, there's one thing that I want you to do. Sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. The man immediately, and one passage says his face fell, and he walked away. He walked away because he couldn't do it. Now, if you're in Dave Ramsey's financial peace uh, class, uh, you know that, that this is a good technique to use if you're trying to buy a car. The walk-away move. Oh, that price, oh, that's still a little too high for me. I'm going to walk away, and you're going to stop me before I leave, and it's going to get lower. Uh, I don't know if that's what he was trying to do that day, but you know what? Jesus didn't stop him. Jesus didn't say, no, 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 just, just sell half of what you have and give it to the poor. No. He let him go. He let him go. He, 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 he walked out. Jesus has this kind of all or nothing moment. And the disciples' reaction are, is, wait, wait a second. This guy, can't get, this guy can't get in. I mean, he's got everything that we want. And Jesus, you know that part, he compares it and says, it's harder for a rich man to get into heaven. And it's hard, is it, was it a camel to get in the, through the eye of a needle? Well, the disciples' reaction, well, how can anyone get there? This guy can't. There are moments where Jesus, he asks us to completely trust him, to just say, you know what, 
I, I, I have complete faith in, in, in you, that, that you're going to take care of me. I am dependent on you, God. Now, that's not easy, though. I, I have to tell you that the older that I get, the harder sometimes it is for me to say yes to God. And the reason why, and this is just confessional, is I like comfort. I like being comfortable. And there's sometimes that I have, uh, maybe it's not a no, but it's a not right now. Not, the, not right now. Um, we, uh, Melanie and I, uh, about, I don't even know how many years ago it's been now, we, we went skydiving. My mom's 50th uh, birthday. Uh, we went skydiving, and uh, there's the picture. We made it, by the way. <laughs> we made it. Uh, but that was right after we hit the ground. My mom, she turned uh, 50, and she said, you know what, for my 50th birthday, I'm going skydiving. And, and I want all my kids to go with, with me. And uh, she was the first to go, which was, uh, we were shocked. We all thought we are going to get there, and she's going to chicken out. Uh, but she did it. <laughs> so we had to do it as well. Uh, as she came down, though, uh, we, we all ran to, to, to congratulate her, and she actually had uh, you know, thrown up on her uh, suit. So... We were a little nervous at that, well, we were even more nervous at that point, but uh, so we had to do it. My mom, she, she did it, so, that, so we had to as well. We're, we're, we're putting this outfit on, we're putting this, uh, the parachute on, and you know, you're strapped to someone else, but there was a, there was a moment of clarification for me uh, that day that really scared me to death, was that, you know what, very simple point, if this parachute does not open, I am completely dependent on this parachute, and I don't even know who packed it. I don't know if it was Bob or Tim or Larry. I don't even know the guy that I'm strapped to right now that I'm about to fall out of a plane. Here I am. I mean, it's a pretty crazy thing to do, first of all. But I am completely dependent on this parachute. If it doesn't open, it ain't going to happen. I'm... And I, I think that God gives us those moments. You know, it happened for this guy that day. He just said, hey, do you really trust me? And sell everything you have and give it to the poor. I think he gives us these moments all throughout our life. I want you to give more than you've ever given before. I want you to start something new. I'm calling you to do something great. I want you to start a ministry. I want you to, I want you to foster a child. I want, you to, I want you to maybe mentor a child. I want you to get involved in ministry. I want you, I want you to forgive. I want you maybe called into ministry. Man, the moments in my life that may be the greatest, most exhilarating moments are the moments that Jesus gave me one of those moments, and I had a blatant joy. It was just so obvious. It was like, I'm either going to be obedient to you or I'm not. And I said, yes. It scares me to death, but yes. Our response to God's unfair grace in our life, his love for us, is to say, is to say yes whenever he asks, that we're going to be dependent on him. Another response to his unfair grace in our life is that we would live a life of thanksgiving, that we would live a life of thanksgiving and gratitude. There's a play by this uh, gentleman by the name of Timothy Thomas, and uh, it's based on this parable of the, uh, the workers here in the, the vineyard. And he depicts two brothers that's vying for work. John is strong and capable. Philip is just as willing but has lost a hand in an accident. When the landowner comes 
John is taken first with the first wave of workers. And as he labors in the field, he looks up the lane for some sign of Philip. Other workers are brought to the field, but Philip is not among them. John is grateful to have the work, but he feels empty knowing that Philip is just as needful as he. And finally, the last group of workers, they arrive, and Philip is among them. John is relieved to know that Philip will get to work uh, at least one hour. But as the drama unfolds and those who came last gets, get paid a full day's wage, John rejoices, knowing that Philip, his brother, will have the money necessary to feed his family. When it comes his turn to stand before the landowner and receive his pay, instead of complaining as the others, John throws out his hand and says with tears in his eyes, Thank you, my Lord, for what you have done for us. Thank you for what you have done for us. You know, it seems pretty easy for us, and maybe it's the culture we live in, to look around and see what we don't have. That's not fair. Life's not fair. God's calling us to something greater. He's calling us to live a life of gratitude. And it seems like people that live that way, they're different. Their attitudes are different. Their language is different. The way that they, they view each day is different as a gift from God. They live, they live like every day is a gift. They're thankful because it's only because of God's grace that we're here. It's only because of God's grace that we are allowed even an extra breath, much less an opportunity to be forgiven and to be given a chance of eternity with, with him. One of our college students uh, this week was on Facebook, and something good was posted on Facebook this week. Uh, she posted this, and it was just the lyrics of a song. Uh, and I, she, she posted a little, just a portion, but I want to read you the whole song. It's this. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What height of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here is the love and the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone who took on flesh, fullness of God and helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness scorned by the ones he came to save, till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied, for every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I live. There in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain, then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose Again, And as he stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me. For I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. No guilt in this life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me for a life's first cry to final breath. Jesus commands my destiny no power of hell, no scheme of man could ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I stand. I will stand. I will stand. All of the ground is sinking ground or sinking sand. All of the ground is sinking sand. This morning, as a response to God's 
unfair grace in your life, I just would ask you to join me to worship and to say, it's all because of you. It's all because of you that I live. It's all because of you that I am saved. It's all because of you, God, and I give you all the praise. Help me to live like that.